0: If you have a Bible, open up to Luke 9, verse 57 through 62. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your smartphone. Turn to Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are just so thankful and blessed to be in your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that you remove me and replace me with you, Lord. I pray that nothing comes out of my mouth this morning that is not from you. I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice, in-house and watching online, hears and sees nothing but Jesus this morning in this place. Have your way. Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So the title of this message, The Truth About Following Christ, a lot of people, including myself, I put myself in this category. Or I used to put myself in this category. I thought following Christ was easy. As soon as I come to Christ, all my problems are gone. As soon as I come to Christ, you know, this was, I don't know, years ago at this point, five, six, seven years ago. As soon as I come to Christ, I'm going to find a wife immediately. Like, where, where is she? Right? As soon as I come to Christ, I won't be anxious anymore. I don't have any more fear. I'll be happy all the time. No more problems. As soon as I come to Christ, I'm gonna get a raise at my job. I'm gonna get a house with this many bedrooms, this kind of countertop, and you know I won't settle for anything less. When I come to Christ, this is what's gonna happen, right? And that's what I assumed. As soon as I come, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I made, you know, my, my, sure I was ready. As soon as I was ready to come to Christ, then everything would be fixed and I would have no more problems. So, you know, going back to the scripture, here we have three guys that literally were talking to Jesus himself, right? Like, I went, like, I don't even, I know we know because we read the Bible, like, that, you know, these people talk to Jesus. Imagine if Jesus was, like, literally in a human form standing here, and I was able to talk to him. Just imagine, that's the thing that I think about every time I read the Bible. I'm like, these people were verbally, physically, visually talking to Jesus Christ, right? So there's three people that Jesus is talking to that have an opportunity to follow him. Right, And they have all these reasons and excuses. Why. Well, one guy's got to go bury his father. One guy's got to go say bye to those people at his house. And another guy we're going to talk, to talk about a little bit and break down that he just wanted Jesus for what he could get. And we're going to get a little bit deeper into why that is. I don't know about you, but I can relate to all of these. I had all these reasons and excuses why, you know, I didn't want to read my Bible. It was too confusing. It's too big, too many pages. I don't get it. The King James Version is like, I don't, yeah, arts and dows and dies. like, you know, uh, I got better things to do on a Sunday morning. I don't want to go to church. I'm good. Like, you know, I'll, 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 I'd rather get my beauty sleep, right? I had all these, two- I didn't want to stop doing what I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing anyways, and I didn't want to start doing what I knew I was supposed to be doing, right? So all these things kind of kept me out of church, and let me rephrase that. They didn't keep me out of church. I let them keep me out of church. I gave myself all these excuses, but you know the main thing, the number one, and please tell me if you can relate to this. The number one thing that kept me out of church is I didn't want to hear something that I, you could probably finish the sentence, knew I needed to hear. I don't want to hear something I knew I needed to hear. Right, So I'm like, I'm staying far away from that place. They're going to tell me something that I, I'm good. They're going to, conv- I'm going to feel, I didn't know what conviction was at the time, but I'm going to feel conviction and I'm going to have to do this and that and this and that. And I'm like, I'm good. I want to live the way I want to live. Right? So fast forward a couple of years, I started going to church in Boston and in, uh, right around 2017 and I thought I gave my life to Christ. I thought I did looking back. I could tell, I could tell you all right now I did not give my life to Christ. And I have three reasons why I know I didn't give my life to Christ back in 2017. Reason number 1, I wanted what God could give me. Like I said, I saw people that went to church. You guys are always just so happy and smiley all the time. And it seemed like you know, people at church like had no problems. Like I said, you know they had, you know, financial freedom and, you know, great relationships and good jobs and, you know, every time I saw them they were smiling. I'm like, how could you smile that, that much? Like, does your face get tired after a while? Right? So I'm like, hey, maybe if I follow Christ, I'll get these things. Maybe if I follow Christ, I'll receive these blessings and these, these things that other people are receiving from Christ. Right? D- during this season of my life, I was just like this first guy that we're going to talk about in Luke 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I've said that so many times in my life. <laughs> Before actually did it, right? Um, so first of all, just like me, this guy verbally followed Christ, but we know he didn't follow Christ at this moment, right? Actually, there's no there's no actual um, you know proof that he never followed Christ. Just in this scripture, in this moment, he didn't follow Christ, right? Um, but we know he didn't do it with his heart in that moment. It's kind of like the gym, kind of like the gym. You can look this up right now. I literally looked it up before. Guess what? 18% of people who sign up for the gym never go. Isn't that crazy? So out of hundred people, 18 of them will never step foot in the gym. We live in the age of technology. You don't even have to go into the gym to sign up anymore. You could do it from your phone. 18% never go to the gym, and this fact blew my mind even more. 90% quit after the first three months. Their heart wasn't in it. They said, I want to get in shape. Maybe they even actually wanted to get in shape but it's the actual act of going to do the things to get in shape is what's, more, is, is what's really important, right? So it's not enough to just say, I follow Christ. Yes, the Bible does say confess with your mouth, right? But you can say a lot of things with your mouth and not say them with your heart. It's not enough to just say, I follow Christ. You gotta mean it with your heart. It's not enough to just say, it's not even enough to just want to follow Christ. I wanted to follow Christ since high school, right? I wanted to, but I didn't actually with my heart want to, right? So, so, yes, we're supposed to say things with our mouth, but it's the meaning of the heart that's even more, right? Jesus said a lot of stuff. Imagine if he said stuff he didn't mean. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know where we are. I don't know where we would be. Imagine if he said, your sins are forgiven, and he just said it and didn't mean it. What if Jesus just wanted to forgive our sins but didn't actually forgive them, right? What if Jesus said, your faith has healed you? He says that to many people in the Bible. Go, your faith has healed you, but he didn't mean it right? Imagine if he said, I will go before you, and he didn't mean it, right? Just, I, don't, I don't even want to imagine that, but that's the thing. Jesus meant what he said. So why did this guy say it and not mean it? How do we know that, right? It's implied that he only wanted Jesus for what he could get, so how do we know? There's a couple possibilities. The first one right here, I'll give you some examples. Earlier in Luke 8, so we're reading out of Luke 9 right now, just earlier, the chapter before, Luke 8, Jesus performed miracles, right? He calmed the storm. Right? For those of you who don't know the story, the big boat with all the people on it, there was a gigantic storm. They were all, you know, freaking out. Jesus, we're gonna die. Jesus, is like, calm down. I'm good, I'm awake, but we're here. Calm the storm, just like that. Then he cast a demon out of a possessed guy. Pastor Tim talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He healed a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years. But how did he do it? He didn't touch her and say, Go, your faith has healed you, you're clean. She touched him, and she didn't even touch him. She touched his robe. She didn't even touch it. There was no physical skin-to-skin contact. She touched his robe, a shirt that he was wearing, and she was healed from bleeding for 12 years. Imagine seeing that. Imagine being an outsider, seeing that. And by the way, when that happened, he was on his way to bring somebody back from the dead. He was on the road to literally resurrect somebody, right? And then he brought that girl back from the dead. And then a little earlier in Luke 9, he fed five thousand people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I thought about doing this example, but it wouldn't work. And here's why: there's, I don't think there's five thousand people. And I was gonna bring two, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and like, like, pass this around, try to, like, but that's not. I don't know. We're not gonna do that. But it's a miracle. Jesus was performing miracles. Who knows how many of this stuff this guy saw, and said, "Hey, if I follow Christ, I might get some of this." I might get some of these blessings, right? But that's just an analysis. That's not like the Bible didn't say this is why the guy didn't really want to follow Jesus, right? So how do we really know factually that this guy only wanted the good or favorable parts about following Jesus? By Jesus' response. Let me explain. It's implied, that it's implied by Jesus' response that this guy only wanted the comfortable parts about following Jesus. Let's break it down. So this guy says, I'll follow you. Wherever you go, I'll follow you. And then Jesus' response was something that seemingly had nothing to do with what the guy just said. He's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, well, I have no place to sleep tonight. Oh, okay. Did, did you not hear what I, I said? I'll follow you. I didn't say, do you have a bed for me tonight? I said, I'll follow you. And you would expect Jesus to say something like, okay, cool. Let's go. Let's go spread the, you know, let's go spread the gospel to all the nations. Cool. I have another follower. Let's, no. But he said, I have no place to sleep tonight. That's like if I walk up to you and I say, nice shirt, and you're like, well, the moon was pretty last night. Okay, what does that have to do with the shirt? I just said you have a nice shirt, right? So, why did Jesus respond like that? Luke 16, verse 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but, is it up there? What's the next four words? It's not up there. It... Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, God knows your heart. That was a trick question. I got you. So, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus knew his heart. Right? That takes us to the first point. Point number one God knows my heart. God always knows what's really going on in here. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you look like on the outside, Jesus knows your heart. How many parents we got here? Raise if you have any. How many parents we got? Kids, okay. Okay, so dad, your son walks up to you. Hey, dad, you're looking kind of buff. You've been working out. You get a haircut today or something, that a new shirt. I haven't seen that shirt, but it looks good on you. You'd be like, all right, son, what do you want? I mean, some of you might just be blessed with like really nice kids that are just complimenting you all the time. But 90% of the time, it's like, what do you want? You don't even talk like you want, you want to try to tell me how good I look today? Like, what about yesterday? Like, you know, so if you know the heart of what a person's saying, you almost don't even acknowledge the actual words that are coming out of their mouth sometimes because you know their true intentions. Right? That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. This guy says, I'll follow you everywhere you go. Jesus like, well, you know, I have nowhere to sleep tonight, right? You know, people want me dead. You know, I'm persecuted everywhere I go. By the way, you want to be a follower. Do you know what happens to my followers? You know, Job is like got everything taken away from him except his life for the sake of the gospel, for my sake. How about David and the lions then? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They got thrown in a fiery furnace for my sake. By the way, you know where I'm headed right now? I'm literally on the road walking to go get, get home from a cross right now as we speak. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you really know what you're asking for? Right. As a matter of fact, earlier in Luke 9, Jesus said this to his disciples. Luke 9, 23 through 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You must die to yourself daily to find new life in him. I think that's in your notes. Uh, So, James 1, yeah, another example. James 1, verse two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, it's crazy. It says, consider it joy when you face trials. What do you mean? I'm supposed to be happy when I get fired? I'm supposed to be happy when my car gets stolen out of my driveway? I'm supposed to be joyful about it? What do you mean? Why? Because it says the testing of your faith produces perseverance. For what? So that you may be concerned, complete, not lacking anything. Right? So we can look forward almost to, to trials and tribulations in Jesus' name. Right? So that takes me to point number two. I should follow Christ. It's a little bit longer here. I should follow Christ because I can have joy, be complete, and not lack anything through trials. Now, does that mean I'm always going to be happy? Nope, but I can have joy, and there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is here forever, and joy is given to us through Jesus. Jesus provides us with joy, so through trial, we can have joy, right? Does that mean that I always have what I want? Absolutely, you might not get anything you want, but you always have what you need, right? Does that mean you always feel complete? I think I feel incomplete more often than not, right? So you won't always feel incomplete, but you will be made complete through Christ. Christ makes you complete. So you can look forward to struggle with Christ. You can look forward to struggling in life with Christ, Right? So three reasons why I don't think I gave my life to Christ in 2017. Reason number two, I was putting other things before God. You name it, man, anything, relationships, uh, you know, going out and, you know, going out to clubs and partying and whatever, staying up late, not going to church, you know, um, I can't even think, just name something. I probably put that before Christ. I probably put that before, you know, God, right? I was just like this second guy. Right? So Luke 9, 59 through 60, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. By the way, I think it's very important to note that this is the only, only guy of the three that Jesus approached him. The Bible did not say why. Like, was this guy, I don't know, like, does it mean that this guy was better than the other two? No, not at all. It doesn't say why, but I think it's important to note that Jesus approached him. The other two approached Jesus, right? Um, this goes to show that people, Jesus reaches people differently. Every single person in this room has a different testimony. How about these baptisms? Give it up one more time for these baptism testimonies we just experienced. Come on now. That's powerful. If, that's not, if that doesn't show you how God works and I, like, the love that God has for us, I don't know. Like, I'm so glad that I go to a church where we do baptisms every week because seeing him work in people's lives just gives me more hope. right? But all these baptism testimonies, all your testimonies are different. God, you might have similar testimonies, but God reaches us all differently. I used to have this friend, like, way back, like, you know, right around 2017, when I thought I'd get in my life to Christ, I used to have this friend who every single day, this person would just be like, have, have this, like, Jesus encounter. I'm like, oh, I was listening to the radio, and this commercial came on about this product that, like, spoke to me. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> awesome. And they would be like, yeah, I was watching TV today. And you know, this person, I was watching Lilo and Stitch. And then, this, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, like, every day there'll be just some random Jesus encounter. Right. And I'm like, where's my Jesus encounter? Right. Where's my, how come I don't hear Jesus on the radio? How come I don't have, how come I'm not hearing God's voice every single day? Right. But the thing is that Jesus gets through to people differently. Right. This also just goes to show that not only um, this God—oh, sorry. So, um, yeah, so Jesus gets through people differently. So I'm looking for my Jesus experience. I'm looking for my, like, moment where I see Jesus coming through the clouds and my son, I'm speaking to you. I'm looking for that moment, right? But, you know, years later, I'm standing here, and I know for, I know for a fact that Jesus was there the whole time trying to, trying to get in touch with me. Trying to, he was right there the entire time saying, yo, Isaiah, I'm right here, bro. You're looking for me because you're comparing yourself to other people. You're looking at other people's testimonies and that's not your testimony. You didn't go through what they went through, right? So uh, this also goes to show that God does not only wait for you to come to him, he's also pursuing you. Like I said, Jesus approached that one person and the other two people came to him. He's both pursued. that takes us to point number three. God is both patiently waiting for me and pursuing me, right? God is both patiently waiting for me and pursuing me at the same exact time. So, there's never a right or wrong time to come to Christ. There's never a right or wrong time to pray. There's never a right or wrong time to give your life to him, right? So, so Isaiah, going to Isaiah 30, verse 18. "'Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. "'Therefore he will rise up and show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him." So the Lord longs to wait for you. To long for something means like, I cannot wait for this to happen. I'm so excited. God is so excited, just eagerly waiting to be gracious to you, to show you his love and his grace and his forgiveness and the joy and peace and freedom that can be had in him. And it's not like he's just chilling like, yeah, man, I can't wait for this person to come to me. No, he is knocking, pounding at your door. All hours of the day and night, waiting, longing to show you his love, his grace, his mercy, right? That's what that verse means. So, because of this, you don't have to be like that person that encounters Jesus every day from the radio and the TV. You might, you might, because I said God has different different ways of reaching people, but you you can experience God wherever you are, whenever you want, no matter what, right? Because of this, you can have a Jesus encounter whenever you want because he's always right there pursuing you. Pastor Tim says this a lot from this stage, and I'm sure you've heard it you know, from other, other sources before, but I love this quote. I don't know if it's a quote or not, but this statement: you are as close to God as you want to be. Because he's always right there. This podium's right here. It's not going anywhere until service is over. I want to be close to what I'm right here. If I want to go over here, the podium's still right there. But I want it to go over here but the podium's still right there. I want to be a little closer to the podium today. I feel good. Let me get a little closer. Still there. Didn't go anywhere. Man, I messed up bad. I messed up real bad. I'm going to go stand over here today. Podium's still there. Didn't go anywhere. Right? But here's the thing, that the podium's a physical object. God is God, and he's still right here, even if I'm over there. Does that make sense? God is always, always right there, and you are as close to him as you want to be. Right? So Jesus approaches This guy, and the guy says, first, let me go. Is that slide up there? Yeah. So, first, let me go. The verse could end right there, but it doesn't. It's the Bible. There's no mistakes in the Bible. But I'm going to, for example's sake, I'm going to end the verse right there. First, let me go. There's nothing you can put in that slide. There's no fill in the blank here if it's on your notes. There's nothing you can put in that blank that is sufficient. There's nothing you can put in that blank that is going to give you joy, peace, comfort, Forgiveness, grace, there's nothing that you can put in that blank that will work, right? We, yes, we do serve a patient God. Patience, as a matter of fact, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We serve a patient God, but guess what's not so patient? The devil, the world, the fallen world we live in, the sinful, the, 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 the sinful nature. The sin of the flesh is not patient. So, I don't know about you. I don't know how many of you can relate back in the day. I'm like, yeah, I'm young. I'm good, like, you know, like you know, teens, early 20s, I'm good. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to go out a couple more years. You know, maybe I'll accept Christ later. I'll go to church some other day. You know, I'm young. I want to live my life. Well, guess what? Guess what? The world is impatient, and tomorrow is not promised, right? But God is always there, <clears throat> right? So this first guy says, let me go bury my father, right? Some sources say that this guy's dad might not have even been dead yet. Some sources say that apparently this guy just wanted an inheritance because back then it was tradition for the firstborn son to get the inheritance when the father passes away. So some sources say he just wanted some money. He's like, all right, well, yeah, I'll follow you, but I'm just going to go get this money real quick just in case if this is your know, whole Jesus, thing you don't work out. Like, I-, I just heard you told the last guy that you're persecuted and you, know, you might get like attacked on the way here. So if that doesn't work out, I'm just going to have this money as a backup, So but let me go do this and then I'll be back. right? So... You know, with that being said, it's, we go to the first commandment, right? We go to the first commandment where it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, am I talking about Buddha? Am I talking about, you know, any of the other gods? Yes. But I'm also talking about anything that you put before God, right? If you are willing to put something before, I believe this is in your notes as well. If it is, fill it in, highlight it, circle it. Underline it if you are willing to put something before God, then that is your God. If you are willing to put whatever you're willing to put before God, then that is your God. Right? And it doesn't matter what it is, it could be it could be a good thing, right? And I'm not saying school and getting, you know, a good job and you know success. Those aren't bad things. God wants us to to be fruitful, right? But when those things come before Christ, that's when it becomes a problem. When your education comes before Christ. That's a problem. When it when when your job when your job title comes before Christ, that's a problem. When your hobbies come before Christ, that's, the pro, that's a problem, right? So this guy, you know, is saying, you know, uh, I'll follow you, but first let me go, right? So if that so if those sources are correct, where he just wanted inheritance, this guy's technically putting money before Christ, right? And Jesus replies with, "Let the dead bury their own dead." but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Is Jesus being insensitive here? At first I thought so. I'm like, all right, this guy's dad is dying or apparently dead. And Jesus is like, no, nah, don't worry about him. He's, he's dead. Forget about him. That's what, I, that's what I thought when I first read this. But when you look deeper into the, what he's actually talking about, he's not being insensitive here at all. Right? So remember I said that, you know, uh, some sources say you might not have been dead. Well, the Bible is one of them. Right? So here's another perspective. And this is why it's important to read the Bible in different translations, in different, um, in different versions. Right? So the NLT, the NIV, all those kinds of things. We've been, we've been reading from the NIV this whole time. If you look at the same scripture in the NLT translation, right, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed. But he said, Lord, first let me return and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead, spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go proclaim the kingdom of God. Could it be possible that this guy's dad wasn't dead at all physically, but he was just spiritually dead? Could it be possible that this guy was just, you know, one of the people persecuting Jesus? Could it be possible that this guy's dad was somebody that didn't believe in the movement of Jesus Christ, didn't believe in God, and and Jesus knew that if he went back, if the guy went back, that his dad might have talked him out of it? The Bible, again, is not incorrect. The Bible is the the living word of God. There would be no translation that said spiritually dead if that's not what it meant. Could it be possible that this guy's dad was just… Jesus knew that if this guy went back, then he wouldn't come back to Jesus, right? Because here's the sad truth, that some people will wholeheartedly deny Christ. It's just the truth. Some people will, 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 will persecute, Continue. people continue to persecute him to this day. Sometimes an even more sad truth, it might be your own family. I know people who that's the experience. It might be your best friend, right, that just wholeheartedly just deny Christ. Maybe not even wholeheartedly, but just like Pastor Tim talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe they just pull you away from him. Maybe it's like, yo, come do this instead. Right? So some people will do that, and what Jesus is saying here, you are not to be concerned with those people. You are to be concerned with the kingdom of God. Those spiritually dead people, you are not to be concerned with what they're concerned about, because they're not concerned with life like I am, like Jesus is, right? So those spiritually dead people, don't follow them, is what Jesus is saying. He's telling us, God, don't go back to your dad. He's spiritually dead. He wants nothing to do with me or life. Don't follow them, lead them, right? I'm only here today because I was led by spiritually alive people. I was spiritually dead once as well. I think most of us were, as a matter of fact, we all were. Bible says we are born sinners. That means we are born apart from God. If you're born apart from God, that means you're spiritually dead. We were all spiritually dead at once, and the only reason we're here is because we were led by spiritually alive people, right? So about that translation thing, I know the message version is a very not, you know, You know, people people talk about the Message version because it's not a word for word translation. It's more of a thought for thought translation. It's kind of more of a commentary, right? So we're not supposed to, you know, I wouldn't make this your main version because it's not a word for word translation. But again, all translations hold weight. It's still the word of God. So we're going to go with the Message version today because this hit, this really hit. So Luke 9 verse 59 through 60, Jesus said to another, "Follow me." He said, certainly, but first, excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to go make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death, and life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. That hit, right? That, that kind of just breaks down what the NIV was talking about, right? Or the NLV, right? Your business, is, he's telling this guy, your business is life, not death. Don't worry about the spiritually dead. Let them worry about themselves. We're not concerned with what they're concerned about. We're concerned about life. Point number four, I should follow Christ because he is concerned with eternal life, not death. So, I added that word internal there like just a couple days ago because he's not only concerned with life. Yes, he wants you to be, uh, have joy and peace and, and, and courage and all those things here on earth and, and be fruitful and bring people to him. That's why we're here. Right? But it's not only about this life that he's concerned about. He's concerned about eternal life. Right? And about the life that can be had in him. So three reasons why I don't think I actually gave my life to Christ in 2017. Reason number three, I was stuck in the past. I kept going back to old relationships, old friendships, um, people that God had taken out of my life unknowingly. You know, um, I would go back to old ways of thinking, and I still struggle with that. I still struggle with old ways th- I doubt myself all the time. I was doubting myself walking on the stage today, right? All the, the weeks leading up to this, you're not good at, dude, you, 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 you still struggle with A, B, and C. You, you, you know, you're, you're not good enough to do this. Well, I still struggle with that, right? But God's working on my heart. But anyways, I was stuck in the past. I would go back to comfort. I'd go back to what I knew. I'd go back to, I would just go back, keep going back and keep going back. I was just like, guess what? The third guy, Luke 9. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Again, verbally, he says, I'll follow you, right? But he also says, first let me go. So again, we already know this guy's heart wasn't in it, putting something before Christ already, right? But then he adds one very important, very crucial very big word after that. He says "He says what? Can anybody get what's the word? Back. He says back. He says, I'll follow you, but first let me go back. Anytime you go back, that leads to destruction. destruction. How many know there's nothing good back there? There's nothing good back there. All the things that we've been through, all the things God's pulled us from, there's nothing good back there, right? Don't look behind, the person behind you is probably good, right, not literally in this moment, right? But there's nothing good behind us, right? Anytime you look back, it leads to destruction. Genesis 19, anyone? Lot's wife. For those of you who don't know the story, Sodom and Gomorrah, they've turned from God. They were deceitful. It says they gave themselves to sexual immorality and perversion. They were living in blatant, intentional sin. So God's like, I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham came to God, said, Hey, what about the righteous people in that city? You're gonna destroy them too? God's like, okay, Abraham, I will I will save the righteous, right? So God sent two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to rescue all the righteous people. Lot and his wife and his family were the only righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? So God is destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, raining, raining fire. on on Sodom and Gomorrah and these two angels take Lot and his family out and they rescue them and they're free, right? And then verse number 17, as soon as they had brought them out, the angels, one of them said, flee for your lives. Next three words, don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Not only do the angels tell them not to look back, But they say what's going to happen if they do look back, right? So there's like like a double-edged sword right there. I mean, you know not not to look back, and you know what'll happen if you do, right? But guess what? Verse number 26, Lot's wife looked back, became a pillar of salt. She was warned not to look back, and what would happen if she did? And she looked back, right? So does anybody know what big red button syndrome is? Probably not because I literally just made it up. So if you see a big red button that says, do not touch, I'm touching it. I'm pressing the button. I want to know what happens. I see a bigger, do not press. Oh, this is a pretty big red button. Let's see what happens. But you can bet that is the exact opposite if you tell me what's going to happen. If, it, if you say, don't press this big red button or your house is going to blow up, I'm not pressing. Get, get me away from that button. I'm not pressing it. Right? So, not only did Lot's wife know not to look back, she knew what was going to happen and still did it. Point number five, I should not look back at what God has already rescued me from because it will lead to destruction. Second Peter verse 2 uh, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 21, for it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What does that mean? Let's break this one down. That means. If you are unknowingly, that's an important word, if you are unknowingly doing the wrong thing, then at least you think you're doing the right thing. At least. But worst-case scenario, at least you think you're doing the right thing if, you're, if you don't know you're doing the wrong thing. But guess what? Once you find out you're doing the wrong thing and continue to do the wrong thing and not try to do the right thing, that's when destruction happens. That's when problems start to occur. right? Cigarettes. Now, if you smoke cigarettes, I'm not judging you. We all struggle with something, Every, including me. We all struggle, and you're just a prayer away from freedom. Amen? So I'm not saying anything, but here's the thing. If you, we all know whether you smoke cigarettes or not the harmful things that they can do. We all know that today. It's not, it's not that secret anymore. Guess what? That wasn't always the case, though. Some of you may know. Back in the 1920s and 50s, these are the things cigarettes were used for. Weight loss and appetite suppression. I've been a trainer for over 10 years now. I promise you I've never put smoked cigarettes in anybody's training program to lose weight. Okay? It was used as a digestive aid. Again, you're never gonna see that in a nutrition plan from me. Uh, It was used to cure throat irritation. Nowadays, we know that it causes throat uh, irritation. And this last one blew my socks off. Back in the 1920s and 50s, cigarettes were used for a respiratory ailment treatment. (laughs) Tobacco smoke was thought to have a soothing effect on respiratory issues such as asthma and bronchitis. Now we know that it literally causes those things. right? So what am I saying? What am I saying here? Why are we talking about this? Because people in the 1920s through 50s were better off smoking cigarettes back then not knowing the harmful effects they have than we are today smoking cigarettes knowing the effects that they have. That's what that verse is saying. So Lot's wife, right, looked back when she knew not to, and she knew what happened if she did. Basically what it's saying is she was better off not knowing to, you know, not look back. I mean, she was better off not knowing, yeah, not knowing to not look back. But she knew and she still did it anyways, right? So what does Jesus say to this guy, right? Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying here? If you keep looking back, how can I bring you forward? How can I do what I want to do in your life if you keep looking back there? Like I already pulled you out of that. You already been through that. Right? Again, Lot and his wife, they were already free. They were rescued, they were out of the destruction, right? God sent those two angels to get them out. They were already it wasn't like they were trying to get out and she was looking around at the she was out. The destruction was back there. She was already free and rescued from it. And she decided to still look back. Right? And some of you might be sitting here thinking, oh, well, you know, my life's been pretty good up to this point. You know, like, I mean, yeah, like, my my cat passed away when I was in high school. My fish died when I was in elementary school. That's about it. Like, you know, my family's healthy, like, I have a good job. I'm getting good. Great. Like, nothing really bad's going on in my life. Well, two things. Well, three things. Well, first of all, that's awesome. God bless you. (laughs) Second of all, it's coming. I hate to break it to you. That's the truth of the fallen world that we live in. And third, it doesn't matter how good your past was, because guess what? I can't walk this way and look back at all the good, oh, man, I remember that year. Man, that was a good year. That was a great, I was making a lot of money that year. That was really good. I might might fall off the stage if I keep going. So it doesn't matter. There's There's nothing here that, obviously, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, they look back at destruction, but even looking back at good, I'm not saying don't have any memories, but just don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck back there. Look forward. This actually takes me right to our next point, our last point. Look forward to where Jesus is leading you, (laughs) because he's leading you somewhere. He wants to do something in your life, and maybe you're thinking, man, he's already done so much. Well, he wants to do more. Maybe you're thinking he's never done anything. Well, he wants to start right now. You're not here by accident. You're not watching online by accident. Jesus wants to do a work in your life for his, for his glory, right? And then something that I came to realize when I finally actually did come to Christ, right, uh, is that it's not about me. You know, like I gave all these selfish reasons and excuses why I couldn't give my life to Christ, why I didn't want to go to church, why I didn't want to pray, why I didn't want to read my Bible, why I didn't want to, you know, stop doing the things I knew I shouldn't have been doing anyways and start doing the things that I knew I should have done. I gave myself all these reasons. Why I couldn't? When I finally put myself aside and made Jesus the leader of my life, then I realized it was never even really about, yes, Jesus wants a relationship with you individually and specifically, but then when you come to Christ, he gives you love for his people and people that are not his people yet because we're here to bring, what's our thing here at Waters Church? We are here for those who are not yet here, right? And then you get the selflessness, And then, you know, I need to tell other people about this freedom that I'm experiencing, the true freedom that can be had in Christ. So sermon in a sentence, it's a long one, a lot of blanks here. When I wholeheartedly, that's the most important word, probably in this whole sentence, wholeheartedly, because again, you could say it, you could want it, but it's the heart that matters. Do you mean it? When I wholeheartedly follow Christ, I can release the past pursue eternal life, experience joy and and peace in trials, and eagerly anticipate God's guidance. I'll give you a second to write that down, but this is what can happen when you, again, wholeheartedly, I think that's not a fill in the blank, but underline that, highlight that, circle that, and then make sure the person next to you did that. (laughs) Wholeheartedly follow Christ. These are the things that can happen Right, So, you know, my, you know, my testimony is, is weird because a lot of people, I heard crazy testimonies of, you know, Jesus saved me when I was sitting in my seat, or, you know, I had a vision, or I heard, a, I heard him speak to me, and I was just radically sad. That wasn't my testimony. It took some time, right? And throughout my, my, my faith walk, I had different experiences. I had different conversations. I was having a conversation with this one person, and I agreed totally at this point. We were talking about his faith and going to church, and they were like, I'm not ready yet. And I wasn't ready yet either. So I'm like, that makes perfect sense. I'm not ready yet. But what does that really mean? It means I don't wanna stop doing what I wanna do and start doing what he wants me to do, right? And then I was having a conversation with another person about the same thing, church, faith, Christianity, reading the Bible, just everything that has to do with that. And then they were like, yeah, maybe one day. And I was in total agreement. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm chilling right now. Maybe one day I'll actually start going to church and like actually, um, make Jesus the leader of my life. Maybe one day I was having another person, another conversation with another person. This is shortly after I started going to church, right? And I invited this person, not to this church, but I was going to another church and I invited this person to church and they were like, I got to figure my life out first I'm broken. I'm lonely. I'm lost. Like I'm doing a lot of bad stuff in my life. And have you ever had one of those like, man, I wish I would have said this type moments. I wish I would have said, Hey, you don't go to church cause you're fixed. You don't go to church because you got your life together. You don't go to the hospital because you're healthy. You don't go to the gym because you're in shape. You go to these places to get there, right? You come to church to hear the word of Christ, to hear the word of God, so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, so he can fix those things in your life. And then last one, and then, we're gonna, and then I'm going to finish up. This one broke my heart. It really did, and it didn't really break my heart until years later. I worked at a gym in Boston and my house was like maybe two minutes away and I was getting a ride home from one of my coworkers and I invited him to my church and his response at the moment, I didn't realize, but I think about it now and I'm just like, it's breaking my heart just thinking about it. I was like, hey man, you want to come check out my church? It's really cool. You know, we pray, we worship, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, I don't really feel a need for God. My life is good. I don't really feel a need, you know, for anything fixed. My relationship is awesome. My job is awesome. You know, uh, my family's family's healthy. Everything's like good in my life. You only really come to God when you need something, right? Like, and like just thinking about that now, I'm just like, oh my man, the lies of the enemy, the lies of the devil. My life's good. I don't need God right now. Well, I'm here to tell you that you might be like any of these people, but I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few seconds to accept Christ into your life so you can have that peace and joy before those things come into your life before the world tries cuz the devil's always trying to pull you away right so you can you can accept Christ into your life before the trials and tribulations even come into your life